0: Amen. Good morning, church. Good Good to be together on this rainy Sunday. (laughs) Amen. For those of you online, welcome. And uh, yeah, I don't know how it is where you are, but in Pretoria, it's raining and it's good. It's a blessing to have some good rains. Amen. We're concluding our study on Galatians today. And I tell you what, we could have carried on for at least another two weeks. There is so much in this book. But uh, we've got to bring it to an end somehow, okay? And so we are concluding today. We're going to take a, a, a quick, uh, brief look at what Paul says in the last two chapters of this uh, book. And I'm going to try and be very, very brief in this message of mine. But you know, Paul, Paul talks a lot. You know, he writes a lot. Remember that one time you was preaching? You preached for so long, a guy fell off the window and died. And yet you can pray for him and raise him up again. So at least you're not sitting on a window, so relax, okay? The worst that can happen is you can fall asleep. And somebody next to you will wake you up. Nah, I'll be quick, I'll be quick. Anyway, and uh, for those of you who are joining us today, who have not been following the series, very, very quick uh, uh, recap. Galatians contains a very clear teaching on grace, on grace. Galatians and Romans are the two books which dive deep into this topic of grace. And, and, and what is grace? The spirit of time between Jesus going up to heaven and Jesus coming back to earth again, this spirit of time is known as the period of grace, the age of grace, or the church age. This is our time as a church of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a period known as grace. There was the time of the law between Moses and the coming of Jesus. That was the period of law, the time of law. But now it is a period of grace. Amen. And uh, so there was a problem over here. And the problem is this. And that's the reason why Paul wrote this letter. There were teachers that went to the churches in Galatia. Paul went around planting all these churches in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And and then after he had planted these churches, established some leaders, and formed the church, and moved on, a bunch of these teachers, they were Christian Jews, but they reckoned that the gospel, believing Jesus, was not enough. And so they came along, and they were trying to say that uh, Paul wasn't a real apostle. It wasn't, it wasn't like Peter and those guys that actually walked with Jesus and that Paul hadn't preached the full gospel to them. You needed Jesus and you needed the law of Moses. And he had to start with circumcision. Okay? And that's what was happening. And so uh, Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatians, in Galatia, to put the record straight. And listen, this is not a polite letter. As you read this letter, the language, the tone and so on, you can, you can, you can feel that, uh, Paul is demonstrating frustration, disappointment, even anger sometimes at what was going on. He's so disappointed that so quickly these believers got taken up by these false teachers. And he quotes extensively from the Old Testament and uses terms and illustrations that the people of Galatia understood well to make the point that the time of the law is over and you are now living in a time of relationship with Jesus because Jesus has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And so we don't have to go through all that. Amen. And so now we can be justified before God without having to obey all those 613 laws that was there in Judaism. In the biblical context and the Christian context, grace is a gift. It is an unmerited, undeserved gift of divine favor in the salvation of sinners. And in the divine influence of operating in our lives for regeneration and sanctification. It is a gift of God that you receive. And once we receive this gift, God works in us to save us and to change us. To become more and more in character like Jesus. And Jesus came to take us out from under the law. You know, those 613 laws of Judaism. And we are free from the grips of those laws because nobody could keep all of those laws. And so Paul is so infuriated with those teachers, those Jewish teachers, because they were teaching people to obey Jewish law. And the first thing they wanted to happen is they wanted them to be circumcised. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery under the law again to obey every single one of those laws. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Wow. So these guys are being influenced to be circumcised and to obey Jewish law. And Paul says, if you do that, Christ has no value to you. Wow. Now, why why is that? You see, because behind circumcision was Judaism. Those teachers, they had one thing in their mind. To get the Gentile people, the Gentile believers, to get under and get linked to Judaism. And the reason Paul is so upset about this matter of circumcision is because circumcision was the initiation rite into Judaism. Any Gentile that wanted to convert to Judaism, the first thing they had to do was circumcision. That was the initiation. And so Paul is, is seeing behind this thing. These guys want to convert Gentiles into Jewish faith people. And that's not why Jesus came. And so Paul says, listen, if you're going to be circumcised, the work of Christ means nothing to you. You can't be circumcised and follow the Lord. Now wait, let me put a pause over here. If you are circumcised as a matter of practice, for medical reasons or other reasons, there's nothing wrong with circumcision. The problem here was that they wanted this circumcision to link them to the law of Moses, you see? This circumcision was linked to their salvation, to their faith, to their being right before God. So you're saying, You want to be right before God? Come, let's begin with a snip. Uh. And Paul is saying, Are you crazy? Jesus came to fulfill the law. You don't have to go under the law again because if you start there, then you've got to obey everything, all the other laws. And so he says in verse 4 of Galatians 5, You who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated, separated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Listen, this is heavy. You've fallen away from grace. You've lost your salvation. You've lost your relationship with Jesus if you're trying to believe in Jesus and do other stuff to help you in your salvation and to help you to be right with God. Now listen, as you're listening to this, we are dealing with Paul and Galatians and a certain practice which happened back then. But it's still happening today. There are still people trying to get Christians to add something to their faith. Maybe it's not Judaism, but it is other practices. You've got to go to church on only a certain day in the week. You've got to dress like this. You've got to pray like that. You can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't marry, you can't this. And a bunch of rituals which are not in the Bible. And many of them go and quote the Old Testament, says, look, it's in the Bible. But when you go and look, it's got to do with practices and rituals which were for the Jewish people. They've got no bearing on us today. We'll get to that just now. But he's saying, if you're going to go that way, you fall away from grace. You're not depending on the grace and the love of Christ anymore. If you try to be justified by keeping the law, you have been separated from Christ. So Paul is upset. He's upset that these false teachers were trying to get the Gentiles initiated into Judaism. Amen? Because behind circumcision was Judaism. And so he realized these guys are trying to take them back into bondage. Paul, Peter, and, and the other apostles had come out of Judaism to enjoy the freedom of grace by faith in Christ. Hey, it's what we sang here this morning. I am free. Amen. We are free to dance, to worship, to praise. Why? Because we are perfect people? Because we are saints? Yes, we are saints, but because of the work of Jesus, not because of our good works. We are free because we are connected with God because of what Jesus did. None of us are perfect. But because of our relationship with Jesus, we are in a process of being made perfect. Day by day, week by week, month by month, we're learning more, we're adjusting our lives, and the day is going to come. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord, and the Bible says, when we shall see Him, then we shall be as He is. The work will be completed. Until then, in other words, during our life in this planet, you and I, we are a work in progress. Okay? So let's be patient with each other, but let's also encourage one another and help one another, amen, to stay faithful to Jesus. <laughs> And so, (laughs) you know, this is funny. Paul is so mad about this. The fact these guys are hammering on circumcision. He's so mad that listen to what he says in verse 12 of chapter 5. He says, as for those agitators, those false teachers that want you to be circumcised. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. In other words, those guys that want to snub, get the whole thing off, man. That's how furious he is. All right? That's why I say, listen, this book is not a polite book, okay? It's not a book for children. (laughs) All right? That's how serious and how furious Paul was. How serious he took this whole matter. So the point is, you are free from the law from having to obey each one of those 613 rules. We are free from the curse of the law. Now, going forward, we have to ask a question. We are free from the law, amen? Hallelujah. Jesus has set us free from the curse of the law, right? And that's what we read in Galatians back in in chapter 3, verse 13. It says there clearly, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, on a tree, on a cross. We we studied that a couple of Sundays back. So Jesus took our place. He took on the curse that should come upon you and me because of our sin, because you're so far from God's perfection. Jesus took that curse upon himself so that you and I don't have to fall under that curse. We are free from that curse. Amen? Because in the Old Testament, if I did not obey the law, all of the laws, I was under a curse. Which meant destruction and even death and even hell. That's the danger that we ran in the Old Testament. Now I'm free from the curse of the law. But now, (laughs) does that mean now that you are free from the law, that you are free to do anything we please? Yay, because I'm free from the law. Is that the question? (laughs) What does it mean to be free as we sang this morning? And this is a problem because... There are those believers, those people who hear the gospel and say, Oh, I'm free. I can do anything I want because Jesus has already forgiven me. Hallelujah. Is that so? Just because Jesus set me free, can I do anything I want? And now you see, that is the world's idea of freedom. To them, freedom means no boundaries. Do anything you want. Be accountable to nobody. This is your life, right? It's your life. (laughs) You be the master of your life. Just do it, the world says. Just do it. This is my life. All right? Some people like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. And you have nothing to do with it. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me how to live my life. (laughs) This is my truth. You've got your truth. You've got your beliefs. That's fine. Be happy. I've got my truth. I've got my beliefs. (laughs) Classic one these days. I was born this way, okay? Therefore, just leave me alone. You are born that way. I am born this way. Which is true, by the way. You are born this way. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So yeah, we are born this way. You with your sin and me with mine. But we try to justify that. We say just because I'm born this way, just because I've got this tendency or because I like this and I like that. That's the way I am. Nobody can. change. You can't tell me what to do because this is my life, my truth, my reality. Huh? Is that it? Now, does all this this, this, this worldly idea, does all that apply to those who, who follow Jesus too? Does it apply to you who are listening to this message and who are trying to learn more about the word of God? Does it apply to us? You see, when you are set free from the law, it does not set you free from rules. Okay? It does not set you free from principles. A free life is not a life without rules. It's not a life without boundaries. You see, freedom without boundaries is anarchy. Make a note of that. Write it somewhere. Okay? Freedom without boundaries is anarchy. And that is what you see happening in the world today. It's happening in many countries. Anarchy, why? Because people wanna be free from rules. It's happening here in South Africa, where leaders and individuals do not want to be accountable. They wanna do as they please. They are entitled. And so because of freedom, you know, people are crying freedom, they're claiming freedom. But what they mean is that they don't want to be accountable to anybody. Just leave me alone. They don't want to listen to anybody. They want to do what is good for them, what is right for them. In their own eyes. Whatever seems right to them, that they want and they don't want you telling them, hey, do you think that is right? They'll say, get out of here, man. It's my life. Huh? Hmm? see? <laughs> you see? And you know, during a time of chaos in Israel, where they had no king, and they were not obeying God, and this is exactly what they said. Judges 21, 25, you read the following. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's nothing new. You see, because we as humans, we as 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 fallen humans, our tendency is to look after number one. And how do you do this? By doing what is right in my own eyes. What suits me. What pleases me. What gets me to enjoy my life according to my taste, my desire. You get the picture, right? And that's what was happening in Israel. And when you go back, it's in the book of Judges. Read the book of Judges. There was chaos in Israel. Why? Because everyone did what was right in their eyes. You know, why that, you know why that is a problem? It's because when that happens, there is no absolute truth. They rejected the idea of an absolute truth. And when you reject the idea of absolute truth, then you become the one who decides what is truth, And what is not. And so you do whatever you want, and nobody's going to hold you accountable. And the result is chaos. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God wanted to be the one teaching Adam and Eve truth, righteousness, the laws of nature, and so forth. But they said, No, 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 no. We will be our own teacher. We'll find out by ourselves. You know, we'll eat of the tree. You know, of knowledge of good and evil. Who needs God when I've got a tree? (laughs) And they disobeyed God. Can you believe it? In the Garden of Eden, guys, there was only one law. One law. How easy can life be when you've got one law to obey? God said, enjoy this garden. Eat anything you want. Play around. There's only one rule. You see that tree over there? Don't eat from that tree. One rule. How many laws and rules do we have today? Huh? I mean lawyers they study for years and they've got to read books and books and books. There's, there's law and sub- subsections and how many laws do we have today because we couldn't keep one law. But that's what happens when you want to determine truth by yourself. And so what happens is we follow the desires of our flesh. What is right in our own eyes, except we don't know what is right. Our tendency, from the beginning of time, because of our fallen nature, our tendency is to do evil. Those of you who are parents, or who have little nephews and nieces, you don't need to teach a child to be naughty, do you? How many of your parents gave your kids lessons on how to be naughty? Nobody. It's built in. They are born that way. It comes with a package. What you do have to teach your kids is how to behave themselves, to discipline. and, and, And that takes hard work. Because their tendency is to do the naughty stuff. And you think you as a grown up, that thing has gone away? It's still there. Leave us alone and our tendency is to go south. To go do the wrong stuff, to go do what's pleasing to me, what satisfies me. And I am at the center of my universe. Our tendency is to move away from God, to move away from the principles of God. But there is a plumb line. You know that, that little string with the thing that hangs at the bottom? That's a plumb line. Builders, when they build buildings, they don't just go, uh... Yeah, that wall looks more straight. Put another brick. Carry on. look straight. No. They put a plumb line. They measure that thing. And, and they, 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 they align that building according to a plumb line. Otherwise, by the time you get to the third floor, you've got something else. Okay? There's a plumb line. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And so God gave us rules. And he showed us a plumb line, those rules he gave to Moses, which revealed his will. (laughs) That was a plumb line. And when you compare your life to that, you realize how skew you are, man. (laughs) Man, you need some help. You need some help. And so it is a journey to align our lives with God's will. But you see, Jesus paid the price for our freedom as we heard last week, so that we could become sons and daughters of God, adopted children of God. Instead of keeping as many laws as we can so that we could try and get closer to God, Jesus took us into God's presence so that now we can learn from Him what pleases Him. A child that is born into a loving home and caring home, that child will be guided. Yeah, the tendency for sin is there. But because of the loving parents, they will guide him and you'll quickly learn what is right and what is wrong. And you'll become a valuable member of society. Now that's what God has done to us. Instead of us being out there and, and trying by ourselves to shape ourselves, no, 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 come. Come become part of my family. Come with all your skewness. Come, boom. He puts us in a family. And then out of that relationship, he begins to form us and shape us and help us to align with his will. He puts us in a loving family. He adopts us into his household. And by the way, talking about adoption, we spoke about it last week. But uh, I just want to add something here about the principle of adoption. Because when Paul spoke to the Galatians, they understood certain things which maybe we are not familiar with. And we kind of miss it when we read the book. All right? In the first century, according to Roman law, okay, an adopted child almost had more rights in the household than the natural children. Did you know that? Because natural children, under Roman law, natural children, they, they could be rejected. Sometimes children were rejected by their parents. They, they, could, they could be sold. In some cases, they could even be killed. Yeah? But under Roman law, when a father adopted a child, he could never reject that child. That child had full rights into his household. He could never be rejected. He could never be treated ill. That child had full right to everything his father owned. The only way that child would miss out on the blessings is if that child chose to move away from his adopted father and leave home. Then, okay, then he's lost everything. Hmm? And, and, and the Galatians understood that. And you see, that's what the Galatians were doing. Because God had brought them into His household had been adopted, and now they're moving away from the household. They're moving away from the father and and trying to grab into all these empty laws and and other rubbish. Meantime, they've got a household over here. And so the Galatians couldn't understand that principle. I want to make it clear for us as well, because until today, anyone who does not enjoy the benefits of what Jesus has done on the cross, anyone who's not enjoying the benefits of salvation, is because they have turned away and walked away. From the love of the Father, they've moved away from the household of faith. That's the only way you're going to miss out on the blessings because Father will not reject you, but you can exclude yourself from the household of God. Amen? I I just thought I wanted to include that, all right? Christianity is not a set of rules, but a relationship, and then it makes a difference. Love becomes the motivation. So, Christianity is not about rules, but about love. Remember that picture of that mountain that I showed you? I wonder if you could have it again, the picture of the ledge. You see now, and remember I told you, this is what the Christian life looks like, all right? You you, you walk along this ledge, there's a path over there, you can walk, it's fairly comfortable sometimes. Other times it's a bit tricky. times, you've got to hold on to stuff. Sometimes you need to other people to help you along. But this is where God wants us to be, all right? On, on the mountain, in a place of relationship with Him. And He doesn't want you to fall to one side or to the other. And now this is a picture of the Christian walk. How do we walk on that ledge? How do we stay on the mountaintop? By Walking in love. Galatians says in chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Whether you circumcise or not, makes no difference. In Christ Jesus. The only thing that counts is faith. Faith. Express itself through love. Faith and love are always together. Amen. Because you've got faith in God, and the Bible says God is love, (laughs) so faith and love are going to go together. Look at verse 13 of Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So what we are called to do to love one another, to serve one another. And to love God and serve God. Let me show you again that Galatians in a picture. Remember that picture of the little mountain? Okay, there it is. All right. This is Galatians in a picture form. One side you've got legalism, trying to obey the law. And that's what people are trying to do in the Old Testament. But they could never keep all the laws. And if you don't keep the law, you're under God's wrath. And what these false teachers were trying to do was trying to pull them from freedom in Christ back into the law, back into legalism. And and so Paul says, hey, you go there, you've moved out of grace. You've ignored Christ. Christ has no value to you. But then the problem we have today, and even from those days, is that we can come out of legalism, (laughs) and we come out with such a speed that you go right over. <laughs> to the other side, the side of license, it, it, it's a quagmire, it's a swamp here yeah, of all the fleshly stuff which our flesh desires to do. And, and this lovely diagram by David Pawson, a Bible teacher, kind of makes The book of Galatians is quite clear. If you are living in the flesh under license, you are also under God's wrath because you are not doing the will of God. You've distanced yourself from God. Amen? And so we are not to fall into the prison of legalism, but you are not also to overshoot, try to stretch grace to such a point that we land up falling in the swamp of license, of fleshiness and breaking the rules of God on the other side. Our liberty is not to be used to fall over the edge into license and fleshly desires, but our aim is to stay here in the middle, to walk in love, and of course, this is that long mountain. You walk along the top. You're supposed to be there under the favor of the Father with the Holy Spirit inside you, with faith in the Son, with faith in Jesus Christ. So, in a healthy marriage... In a healthy marriage, a husband pleases his wife, and a wife pleases her husband. Not because they have to, but because they want to, because they love each other. Amen? They want to please one another. They want to do what pleases the other. Okay? Now, Christianity should be a relationship with God. It's the same thing. God has already done so much for us because He loves us. He's opened up the way for us to have entrance into His room, into His throne room. He's opened up the way. Now it's up to us. Do we love Him too? Are you going to love Him back? He's opened His arms to us. And some people are saying, nah. But I hope all of us here, those of you watching, those of you listening, I hope all all of us have chosen to Run to God to love Him and to come close to Him. Amen? Because it's, it's done so much the fact that you are breathing here today is a sign of His life, of His love. The Bible says in Him we live and move and have our being. Anybody breathing out there today is because of God giving you life. Just like this. God can just snip that button and we are gone, man. Life is a gift of God. And Christianity should be a relationship with God. And so Paul explains that when you move away from the law, but instead of loving God, all right, and say relationship with God, you go too far and stretch grace to an extreme, then it becomes the flesh. <clears throat> it becomes the flesh. And Paul calls this extreme, that's out over there, the works of the flesh. And that is what happens when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Instead of learning about the Word of God, applying the Word of God, they do what they want. They follow what they want. It is the cravings of the self-life. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21. Look at this. This is the works of the flesh or the cravings of the self-life. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, hmm? temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being love with your own opinions, Being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God. Wow. And this list is not an exhaustive list. That's a partial list of the works of the flesh. But look around you. There was a time when people who did these things were worldly people. But you live in a day where sometimes you find Christians doing these things. Not even openly doing these things. Maybe you picked up one or two things that that you are guilty of. I I, I sometimes get caught in one or two of these here. What is that one over there? Uh 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 what's the thing about tantrums okay so maybe we're not murdering people but many Christians fall into these things now these are works of the flesh why? because we are wired to do these things they come naturally now These are listed here for a warning. As you go through this list, you you realize what's happening today. You're finding people, Christians, who are pleasing themselves instead of God. And that's why here in Galatians, Paul is preaching the gospel to Christians. And some people say, no, you must preach the gospel to sinners so they can be saved. No, you've got to preach the gospel to Christians too, that we can be reminded of who we are and what we should do and who we should become. Amen? And and this is it. That's why you must remember these things. And many Christians today, they live their lives to please themselves. They say, I am number one, and I'll do whatever it takes to please myself. And depending on what your tendency is, okay, well, because, you know, remember, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so each of us has a short. I've got my short, you've got your short. Okay, your favorite sin, your favorite tendency. Whatever it is, we tend to excuse that and go after that. And as Christians, we are warned that if you continue doing these things, abusing our freedom, we shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to overcome the flesh. And the question is this, is there a way of overcoming fleshly desires? And the answer is yes. How? Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see there? Walk by the Spirit. Walk with Jesus. If you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will abandon the cravings of the flesh. And this means, if one is practicing one of these things that you've just read, and you come to Jesus, you can be restored. You can be rehabilitated. You can be made whole. You can overcome those sinful tendencies which come naturally to us. Listen to what happened in the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-12, to 12, this is uh, both a warning and a testimony. Listen to this. Don't you know? That the wicked people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Stop deceiving yourselves. People who continue to commit sexual sins. Who worship false gods. Who commit adultery. Homosexuals or thieves. Those who are greedy or drunk. Who use abusive language. Or who rob people. Will not. Inherit the kingdom of God. That's it. But listen to what it says in verse 11. That's what some of you were. Guess what? There were people in the church of Corinth who did all those things. Okay? Who did those things, worshiped false God, committed adultery, were homosexual, thieves, greedy, drunk. There were people in the church who had been those things. He says, that's what some of you were. But you have been washed and made holy. And you have received God's approval in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, someone may say, hey, I'm allowed to do anything, right? I'm free from the law. I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is helpful. All right? I'm allowed to do anything. True. But I won't allow anything to gain control over my life. And there's the point. If you're allowing anything to gain control of your life, any habit, any sin, any addiction, you are a slave to that thing. And you need to come to Jesus for deliverance. You'll be set free. Some things will be easy. Some things will be a hard battle. Some things will be quick. Some things will take a long time. But victory can be had. Amen? Just like these guys in Corinthians. Amen? It it comes down to daily decisions. Every day we make decisions. But now, a large percentage of the decisions we make every day are based on habit. In fact, a study has shown that as many as 45% of the decisions we make every day, we make those decisions not by thinking about them and considering them. No, we make them out of habit. We are so used to doing things in a way, we just decide, boom, just like that. Because of our habits. And because many of our habits are bad habits, Many of our our habits are based on satisfying me, on taking the easy way out. Those decisions are not thought through and they are not the right decisions. They are not good decisions. You see that? You know, a certain emotion comes up and you react. A thought comes and you respond. You don't even stop to think. You just react and respond automatically because that is what you're used to doing. You assume things. You jump to conclusions. And you shout your mouth off <laughs> without getting all the facts and without weighing things out. And later on, you might go, oops. But by then, you've made a bad choice. You've hurt somebody. You've hurt yourself. Huh? Huh? So what must we do? Cultivate new habits. We must stop and ponder. Why am I doing this? Why this reaction? Is it based on truth or on assumption? Am I doing it because of tradition, because of fear, because of conviction? Is this a conscious decision or just a habit? You need to judge yourself. And you've heard about it this morning already. We must judge these things. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Because when you're walking in fellowship with God, when you're free... That doesn't mean you're free to sin. Uh -uh. You're not free to sin. You are free not to sin, okay? You're living on the mountaintop, walking along the ledge. And the Holy Spirit is with you. Other believers are with you. You're not alone. And so, we can look at our lives and judge these things. These fleshly tendencies. When Paul was writing about Holy Communion, He says, let each one judge themselves. You know this morning. Who must you judge? Yourself. Don't sit over there judging the guy next to you. (laughs) That's easy. Have Have you realized how easy it is to judge others? You know, judging other people, it's almost as easy as spending other people's money. But now judging yourself is a different story, isn't it? Because you find all the excuses. Yes, but. Oh, yeah, that's true, but. (laughs) All right. Uh, Now, I might observe something in your life and say, you're doing that thing well, or you're doing that thing, are you sure about it? You know, and it's okay. I might say, I think what you're doing is wrong. And it's okay for us to encourage one another and to correct one another if you have that kind of freedom in your relationship. But at the end of the day, even if you come and correct me, at the end of the day, I have to sit with that and judge that and judge myself. My brother spoke to me. My sister spoke to me. Are they speaking truth? Or is it just their opinion? And I've got to be honest with myself And I must judge myself by the plumb line of God's word. You must judge yourself, not by your opinion or their opinion. What does the word of God say? That's the plumb line. And I've got to be able to admit to myself that what I'm doing here is not right. And then the Holy Spirit can work with me as I humble myself. And I come to me and say, Lord, I am sinning over here. I'm doing this wrong. Help me. You you see, my sin doesn't break my relationship with God. But it spoils my life. But if I come to God with that thing, it doesn't matter how many times I come to Him with the same thing. I keep on coming to Him, all right? And He, when he works with me. And then eventually, I can overcome that thing. All right? But then Paul goes further. He says, but there is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just the works of the flesh. And watch this. Galatians 5, to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You do any of that stuff, nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to take you to prison. Nobody's going to get offended at you, okay? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. With the Spirit of God. And it's interesting. Because this is one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit with many flavors. Okay? And, and this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's something which the Spirit produces. It does not flow from our natural nature. It is the result of the Holy Spirit operating in us. To do the works of the flesh, I've got to put some effort into it. And those things come naturally to me. It's easy to break the rules of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated. It's cultivated by being connected with God. And the fruit is a result of that connection. Bearing fruit is not an effort. It's a connection. Right now, back in my home, I've got, I've got figs growing and I've got grapes growing. I've got a fig tree and I've got some grape vines. And... Um, I've I've I spent some time standing next to my fig tree and just watching and listening. And then I went to my vine, grapevine, I stood there, just watching and listening. You know what I don't hear? I don't hear the fig tree or the grapevine going, mm, fruit, more fruit. I want fruit. I've, I've looked carefully. They're not sweating. Those branches of the vine and those branches of the fig tree, they're just hanging there, man. But the branches of the fig tree are connected to the trunk. The branches of the grape are connected to the main vine. They're connected. And because they're connected, they just, just hang there, man. And you know what? The longer they hang, the more the fruit starts to come out. Come out, come out, come out. And drip from those branches are you, are you getting the picture this week I'm going to be patient oh I'm going to be patient I'm going to be ain't going to work don't pray for patience you'll be surprised what you're going to get into what do you do do like those trees in my home just hang there Just get connected with Jesus and hanging there. Maintain the relationship, fellowship. Amen. Hang around Jesus. Hanging around the Holy Spirit, coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, talking about these things, looking at what needs to be done, making a decision that you're going to please the Father, doing all you can, you know, just, just making decisions according to God's principles. And you bear fruit by staying connected. The longer you are connected, the more connected you are, the more fruit you're going to bear. Fruit will begin to flow. You start to become aware of the fruit. Others around you start becoming aware of the fruit in your life. Amen? And these things I've read you, that's the fruit. Amen? Okay. Let's quickly go back to rules again. Of those 613 rules, many of them were ceremonial rules. And those are things like being circumcised, things like uh, you can't wear clothes with wool and cotton mixed together. I mean, you read those things, it's, it's, it's weird. But now, there was a purpose for that time and age, okay? Remember, those rules were given to Moses when they were walking through the desert. And so, a lot of those rules, scientists have found out today, a lot of those rules actually helped to keep the people alive and survive 40 years in the desert, If they did not have those rules, they would have died, okay? So, there was a a season and a purpose for that time. But those are ceremonial rules, and now, all that stuff is gone. You have to go to church on the Sabbath, you have to, you know, watch the observe the moon, you've got this. All that stuff is gone, all the ceremonial stuff, we don't have to observe. But many of those rules had to do with morals and principles. You shall not kill, you don't steal. Don't go chase your neighbor's wife, okay? Now, these are moral principles. Those are rules for life. These have to do with character. And every rule that has to do with character is still valid today. Those still apply. Amen? We might as well say amen. Because the Christian life is not a life without rules. Amen? But then, of course, there are some Rules which are really problematic. I think one of the most problematic ones, which both Christians and non-Christians they kind of argue about this one. It's going to get uncomfortable now. Is the problem question tithing? <laughs> tithing. Hmm. Good thing the offer has been taken already. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about it. The big question that many believers and unbelievers also today is this: Is tithing so for today, or do you chuck tithing away? Now tithing was a specific one that clearly brought a curse upon the people, all right? If you did not tithe. In Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, listen, this is frightening. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet, you rob me. This is God speaking. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. (sighs) so next week everybody better bring your tithe (laughs) if you haven't done so yet otherwise you're in big trouble so under the law if I don't tithe I am robbing God and now that we are free from the curse of the law are we still under the curse if I don't tithe faithfully now you go on social media and you're going to find experts, in inverted commas, experts. You're going to find experts on social media pulling for both, for both camps. Some will put you under condemnation if you don't give 10% of your income to the church. Other group is going to put you under condemnation if you do give 10% to your church. <laughs> Saying that tithing was Old Testament stuff. Well, here's the reality. Like with anything in life, you don't have to do anything. Everything is your choice. But if you love God, if you have a relationship with the Lord, what should you do? What would you do? And by the way, don't think that tithing is only 10%. The Jewish nation, they under the law of Moses, there wasn't just one tithing. There are many tithes under the law of Moses. And so that at the end of the day, if you looked at the cycles of tithing and worked out how much the Israelites were giving to, to God in terms of tithes, it was anything between 24 to 30%. You had your first tithe, you had your second tithe, every three years or a tithe for the poor, then there was temple tax, and, and, and so it's not just 10%, people. Therefore, if we are going to follow Old Testament law and say this is for today, you guys better start tithing 30% to the church. Come on. It will certainly help us, believe me. It's not funny, I know And now the thing is, they had to tithe. If not, they were robbing God. And then they would be under a curse. What would happen? Crops would fail. No rain would come. The enemy nations would invade their land and other calamities. You read the Old Testament, you see these judgments coming upon them because amongst other things, they did not tithe. So what about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament principle is to give generously. Generously. Now you work out. What does generously mean to you? Oh, I think a half of 1% every six months is good. Is that generous to you? Hmm? Give generously. Jesus said, give and it will be given back to you. Now, we don't give as a formula. Some people treat tithing as trade. God, here I am in my tithe. You see there? So many rands and so many cents. I'm giving it to your Lord and uh, now I'm expecting at least 10 times that back. Okay? Within six months, please. And people use giving to God as a mechanism to make money. Listen, guys, this is not a pyramid scheme. Hello? You're giving to God out of love. Well, or, or you go to your wife and you give what I give. Honey, look what I'm giving you. You see, you, you like, you like, you like. Now remember what I like, huh? 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 You're giving generously, out of love we give out of love and commitment we give out of a desire to see the church exist and the message of the gospel to spread we give sacrificially at times and although we give it to a physical local church we are actually giving it to the lord and his work and he is the one who rewards and blesses now take a look at the book of acts in the new testament the people didn't just tithe some of them gave everything some people gain sell lands and bring everything to the church Hmm? because it was about getting the message out now look in Galatians look what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 6 verses 6 to 8 if you are being taught the Christian message you should share all the good things you have with your teacher do not deceive yourselves no one makes a fool of God you will reap exactly what you plant don't mess with God you give little to God You're going to get little. You give more to God, you're going to get more. Is it a trade? No, it's a law. It's a principle. Look what he says. If you plant in the field of your natural desires, from it, you'll gather the harvest of death. If you plant in the field of the Spirit, from the Spirit, you'll gather the harvest of eternal life. Many people, oh, pastor, I can't tithe, I can't tithe. You know why they can't tithe? Because she wants to get that new beautiful dress. He wants to get that new car. And he's going above his means. He's stretching his budget. He's going into debt when he shouldn't go. He could afford the cheaper car. She could afford the cheaper dress. But I want to keep up with the Johnson's. I want to impress people. So sorry, pastor, I can't tithe. They are serving so to the flesh. And guys, this is happening across the world. America, big prosperous country. In America, when you tithe, you can ask the church for a slip, proof. And then you can listen, and then when you, when you do your taxes, you can claim it back. Like we do in South Africa, and when you spend your medical and your pension, and you can claim back from the taxes. In America, you can claim your tithes. So you think, wow, every American tithes. No, 9% of Christians in America tithe. Huh? Huh? And so Paul is doing this. I remember in, in the days of Paul, they would go from, the apostles would go from place to place to place and people would, would receive them, accommodate them, feed them and then give them something for the next part of the trip. But Appendix Galatians wasn't doing this. That's why Paul is kind of reminding them of these things. Today, we give to our local churches. Those of you here at Awaken Life, in person or online, pump it back into this ministry because it is the money that comes into this church, the money that you are giving, and thank you to all those here present, those of you online that faithfully give to this church. It is that money that you are giving that is enabling this very service to take place. It's enabling, you know, live stream to take place, social media, audio services going out. It's because of the giving. If the giving dries up, the ministry will stop. It's as simple as that. But because we love the Lord, we give, and we give with generosity and abundance. And of course, we don't have to give various tithes, only one, hallelujah. In fact, many, many financial advisors say, give 10% away, as like a tithe. Save 10% and live out of 80% of your income. That is good advice. If you can trim your budget to live like that and with some hard work and thought, it can be done. You can have a very good life like that. It's discipline. Amen? Sometimes people are in true financial difficulties. And they can't give the full 10%. No, you don't have to feel guilty about that. You give what you can. But you make a decision in your heart. God, I'm going to get to that 10%. And by God's grace, I'm going to go above that 10% to glorify your name. Amen. All right. End of the uncomfortable part of this sermon. I'm going to ask the Ashes to distribute communion, please, as I close this this, uh, sermon. And we're going to share in communion. So please, thank you for giving out the cups. Now listen, folks, we are free to produce fruit without guilt, without bondage. You don't have to keep all the ceremonial rules, but everything to do with love, with principles, with character, with proper living, those rules are still in place. Sin is still sin, as it was in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, but, uh, but living in freedom means we have to carry one another's burdens. We have to help one another. We have to live in community. And he speaks much about this here. All this is expanded in chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians. So as we bring this series to a close, I hope that these five messages have helped you to see that uh, we can live in freedom. But a freedom within boundaries amen a freedom with rules that will actually enrich our lives and not put a burden on us we have a God that not only gives us rules to live by but by his spirit he comes alongside us and helps us to live by those rules what else do you want God will never demand something from you that he will not help you to accomplish. That would make God an unfair God if he told you to do something that you can't do. But he comes alongside us. And so, as we close the study in Galatians, I close with the last three verses of the book. Chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. The rule of walking in the spirit to the Israel of God notice he mentions that the church of Jesus Christ is the Israel of God he's making a differentiation between the natural Israel and the Israel of God the church of God the people of God from now on listen from now on let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus remember Paul has scars in his body because of his boldness in preaching the gospel And both Jews and Romans got to him, okay? And he had scars in his body because of this. Amen? And so he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Peace and mercy to those who follow the life of freedom in the spirit, in fellowship with the spirit of God. Here, he refers to the Christians as the Israel of God, as opposed to the uh, Israel according to the flesh. Well, having completed this clear teaching on grace and the silliness of going back to Judaism, Paul declares an end to this argument. Let no one cause me trouble. That's it. Case closed. I'm not gonna argue with you again. I've given you a whole study on this. I've gone back and forth in the Old Testament. I've proven to you that it's nonsense to go back on no, Please now keep quiet. Don't bother me again with this nonsense. Amen? <sighs> and so, may we also understand the power of grace. Let's be alert to the false teachings out there. That wants to add to your faith in Jesus. To the grace of God. Oh, but have you done this? Oh, how, how do you take your, your communion? Out of one cup, oh, it's wrong. Everybody must drink of the same cup, otherwise, it's not right. What are you using for communion? Is it wafers? Is it bread? Oh, you must use matzos, which is agreed with the Jewish bread. Bread and wine are symbols. The point here today, guys, as we take communion now, is to remember what Jesus has done, to remember who we are. And maybe today, some of you are struggling. With inclinations, tendencies, sins in your life. Maybe when I read those list of fleshly things, a couple of red lights went on in your thinking. Now is a good time. And people will tell you, oh, but if there is sin in your life, you mustn't come and, and have communion. Wrong. He says, judge yourselves. In other words, Lord, I've got this problem. And so I'm coming to your table now and I'm bringing this problem. I'm remembering, I'm I'm being reminded as I take communion of what you did on the cross. You died for me, for my sins. You died to set me free. Lord Jesus, I'm still bound by this thing. I come to you, Lord. Or maybe I come to you again, Lord, with this. Set me free, please. Help me, Lord. You come to the table with that kind of thing. Because this table is Jesus' invitation. None of us are qualified for it. But he... Makes us qualified. And so you come. And you be alert. If you still feel bound by old traditions or things holding you back. Now is the time to lay it before Jesus. God. I lay my silliness. My laws and rules and regulations. Which are only ceremonial. I've got nothing to do with character. I lay it before. Set me free Lord. Amen. Let us enjoy his goodness. Let's stand, please, as we partake of communion this morning. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, this bread reminds us of your body broken for us. You took upon yourself our sickness, our disease all our wrongdoings our fleshly inclinations our fleshly tendencies Lord our desire to please our flesh you took it upon your body Lord and we remember that today and as we partake of this bread Lord we confess Lord God these tendencies these sins we ask you Lord to help us to step by step bring our lives in line with your will. Thank you that you love us in the process, Lord. Thank you that you're not rejected, Lord, while we are in this process. And so we thank you for your love today, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So take and eat and be blessed as you partake of the body. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this cup. And Lord, as we partake of this cup now, Lord, we are reminded, as we look at this cup, Lord, we are reminded of The blood that was shed on the cross for Jesus back in the Old Testament they had to shed blood to cover sins that was the only way your people could be well made right with you for a small period of time was by bringing a sacrifice and shedding blood Lord and they had to do it over and over and over and over and over again and then you came, Lord Jesus. And with one sacrifice, Lord, <laughs> you paid the price for all of our sins. <laughs> that you don't have to keep on coming. And Lord, your blood didn't just cover our sins. It removed our sins, Lord. So that we here, that are gathered here, even as imperfect as we are still, Lord, but because of your blood, we can stand before Father God. Justified before God Righteous before God Not because you are perfect But because your blood Was a perfect sacrifice For all of us Lord help us never Never Lord To take the sacrifice for granted Help us never Lord to Use this freedom To roll over into sin And into license Lord Help us never to abuse The power of your blood Lord Help us, Lord, to honor what you've done, Lord, by not adding stuff to it, Lord, but to live in faith in you and with lots of gratitude for your grace for us. So we thank you for the blood today, Lord. Amen. Let's drink of the cup of blessing. Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah to you guys it's been so special thank you so much for your patience and it's a little bit longer today but I do pray it was worth it in terms of the teaching or the foundation the Lord bless you and as you go forth keep these teachings and as you go forth into the future never allow false teachings to rob you from this sweet relationship with the Lord grow deeper into your relationship with the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ growing in the Word. And so, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, remain with each one of us until we see Jesus face to face. Amen and amen. God bless you. Amen.